Captain's Log Supplemental. It's been six days since the arrival of our newest senior staff member and chief engineer, Lieutenant Commander Elliot Tan. Though his tenure is in its infancy, his time here has not been without its rough patches. We have had several mishaps that have led to delays and lost time. The Prioritas has experienced everything from blown power couplings to damaged torque buffers. To exacerbate the situation, Commander Tan's management style is in stark contrast to our previous chief engineer, and the crew suffering through growing pains. To this point, it's been nothing more than mere annoyances. However, in my experience, annoyance often escalates to severe problems if left untreated. I've called a meeting with Lieutenant Commander Tan to discuss the options. The only obvious reason for anything breaking over the last few days has been Lieutenant Cobb erasing part of the computer core's archive storage during a systems evaluation. I don't believe it was malicious. Neither do I. Frankly, I thought he was going to cry when I called him in here to discuss the matter. It was fixable. I just wouldn't let him near it again, sir. <laughs> oh, agreed. Still, no leads on the latest power coupling? Nothing solid, sir. I've scheduled maintenance teams to inspect the ship deck by deck. The engineering crew have been tasked with double shifts until all systems and equipment have been inspected, diagnosed, and repaired. Ship components are breaking faster than we can fix them. We are three days behind schedule. We have one beam array out of service. We're currently 28 hours from the closest Starfleet vessel, and we're in the middle of unexplored space. Frankly, Mr. Tan, we need answers. Yes, sir. I'll get them, sir. I have some theories. Permission to run a three-shift, double-staff rotation. Denied. Denied, sir? That's right, Mr. Tan. Denied. May I ask why, sir? I have concerns. Concerns that we have an overworked crew whose only reward has been more work. Permission to speak freely, Captain. Go ahead, Commander. This is a Starfleet vessel, Captain Leandros. This is a Starfleet crew. The guidelines set forth by Starfleet general orders and regulations give me every right to increase work hours. And these men and women will handle it. If they don't, they have no place on this staff or this ship. As you indicated, Captain, we are in a dire situation. We need staff to fix it. I would ask that you reconsider my request. Lieutenant Commander Tan, my ship, my crew are the best in Starfleet. The best. They're also flesh and blood, not drones. Push them and they'll perform. Abuse them and they will crumble. That line is thin, but a good senior officer knows where it is. No rule or regulation defines it. No manual shows its location. Only experience will make it visible to you. We're at that line. Your request is denied. Yes, sir. You mentioned some theories. Let's hear them. Prior to my arrival, there was an incident involving radiation exposure. I haven't been given access due to security clearance, but after preliminary review, I have found some unusual ionization on all of the ruptured couplings. I'd like to investigate further before I submit a full report. Mr. Tan, head to engineering. I'll send Commander Pentad. His scientific knowledge and familiarity with the Benthan incident should prove invaluable. Be prepared to give a verbal report in two hours. Dismissed. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. 
Welcome to Priority One. And now your hosts. Hello, Admirals. You're listening to episode 208 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded on Thursday, February 5th, 2015, and available for download or streaming on Monday, February 9th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Cookie. And I'm Jace. So, Cookie, what do we have this week? We have another big show for you this week. Admirals will be jumping right into STO News to continue our initial reviews of the fifth anniversary content. Then we have two interviews to share with you. First is the second part of our interview with Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera, followed by an interview with a newly appointed executive producer, Stephen Salami Inferno Ricosa. So sit back, relax, and let's look at what's in store for Star Trek Online over the next several months. Finally, before we wrap the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. And in case you missed it, we've published a video walkthrough of the new Command Bridge Officer powers with their creator, systems designer Jeremy Bordicus Randall. If you've been debating which of the new Command space powers you want to invest in, then you're not going to want to miss this video demonstration. Visit youtube.com forward slash P, the numeral one network. That's P1 network to catch this must-see interview. And Admirals, we're back to recording our episodes live. So if you're interested in joining the live audience, then visit PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash live on Thursday nights at around 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And if you can't make it to the live stream but want to catch all the content that lands on the cutting room floor from week to week, then we have a way for you to get your hands on the live, unedited ramblings of the Priority One crew. Patreon, like other crowdfunding sites, is designed to give fans of a project the opportunity to support creators like us. But instead of just a one-time donation, Patreon allows you to contribute monthly to your creation of choice. For example, by donating $10 a month, you'll have access to those live, unedited recordings that Elijah was just talking about moments ago. But we have other tiers for donations, starting from $1 per episode and up. So check us out on patreon.com slash priority1 and consider supporting Priority One Podcast on a monthly recurring basis. And even if you haven't donated or simply cannot, you can still show your support by dialoguing with us. Your comments, questions, tweets, Facebook messages, in-game chat, all lift our spirits when we get to engage with you. So even if you're a long-time listener, share your thoughts with us on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, in-game, however you can reach us. And if you have a special skill or interest that you'd like to contribute to the production of Priority One Podcast, like audio editing, graphic design, blogging, video editing, or something else we haven't thought of, then reach out to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or visit the website and click on that red shirt Uncle Sam. We're always looking for creative talent to help broaden the team and make the productions from week to week and throughout the week much better. So if you've got something you think you want to contribute and it's not listed there, by all means, reach out to us. Even if you're just interested in helping and you don't know where, shoot us an email. And if you're looking for a group to play STO with, who better than the Priority One Fleet? Join the weekly alerts for some community fun hosted on our Twitch stream at twitch.tv slash priority one. Join Airborne of the P1 Fleet for action and adventure. Now let's jump right into this week's STO news. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. 
All right, Admirals, a lot's been going on in Star Trek this last week, considering it's been the fifth anniversary celebration with all that juicy content. So let's get right down to it. As of February 5th, R&D XP boosts will be added to the Zen store. They will come in two sizes, small, which will cost 200 Zen and grant 2,000, and large, which will cost 800 Zen and grant 10,000. Each of these will increase XP earned by 20% until it's used up. My concern with these boosts is that for the amount they cost, I think that if you converted that amount of Zen into Dilithium and then auto-completed using Dilithium a couple of research projects, you would, you would actually get more R&D XP. So I'm not sure if the math on these is quite right. Sounds like a math segment to me. Yeah, I, I have to look. I know some folks in the in the subreddit did the math, and I just I always like to check it for myself, even though I trust some of those folks with math more than myself. So we'll follow up on that subject next week with a little bit of math on the R&D XP boosts. Next up, we do have release notes for February 5th on Holodeck, which are fairly extensive, mostly focused around bug fixes and tweaks to the anniversary celebration, which we're going to talk about a couple of the specifics here in a moment. I do encourage everybody to check it out this week because there's a lot of little improvements in this week's patch notes, and we have a lot to come yet in the episode, so I'm not going to go into them all in detail. But Elijah, why don't you start us off with some highlights? How about that minigame? Well, according to the release notes, they have modified the scoring and rewards so that higher scores are guaranteed to grant increased amounts of common and uncommon Omega materials. A small chance of rare and very rare still exists in addition to these guaranteed rewards. Omega R&D projects for the anniversary event no longer allow catalysts to be slotted, which was great. Omega Upgrade Tech now gives more research to reflect the value displayed on its tooltip. Well, Admirals, this is the point that we tweeted about late last week over the weekend, which was uh, actually from a post by Jeremy Bordicus Randall regarding the percentage that player will get in research to try to upgrade the quality of, a, of an item using the Omega Tech upgrade. And even in that post, Jeremy says, you may want to wait until the patch goes live if your goal is to increase quality. And lo and behold, we indeed have that modification introduced in the game this week. Now, going back a second regarding the reward structure, this is something that I that was frustrating for me. So this minigame, right? I am like zen with this minigame. I am just kind of, I, I sit, I put my headphones on, and I just start going at it. And I'm just like, man, I am collecting particles. I am churning out these tech upgrades. I'm not spending the dilithium to, to finish them sooner. But I've, I think right now I've, I am, I'm cooking 19. I've already used four, if not five, tech upgrades that I've, I've been able to cook. So, wow. <laughs> Holy, I've made one tech upgrade, and I have a second one being made now, and that's after like hours of eye-breaking work. Once you get started, though, Jace. Once you get the momentum going, it's just like those um, epos. Like, the first couple days, you don't see anything, and then you start seeing stuff every day. I'll take your word for it. (laughs) To go into more detail about what the reward structure is, Jeremy Bordicus Randall posted a rundown on the forums, and we'll, of course, link that in the show notes. But ultimately, if you get above 2,000, you're going to at least get one uncommon and a few commons. So that's really exciting. I'll be able to enjoy the game much better. He also said that if you score anywhere above 1301, 
you get an additional chance of receiving a rare or very rare material. So you could get a shard or a fragment, there's a chance, if you get above 1301. Well, Admirals, if you're still trying to find out where to go for which color traces, we'll have a link in the show notes to the locations of where each color can be found. Thanks to the member of the STO subreddit for sharing this with the community. So this just in, Admirals, thanks to Lance and Dragon for pointing this out to us, Bordicus just made a post on the Star Trek Online forums, and it reads, We recently came to the decision to allow the Omega projects to remain available indefinitely after the conclusion of the event. Now, the Omega Stabilization minigame, and thus earning Omega materials, will go away when the event is over, but anything you have gathered left over between now and then will be yours to keep and continue to refine forever. So... Yay. So don't stop crafting <sighs> so your relieved. fragments and your shards and collecting all of those Omega particles because you can continue to uh, to craft. Now, I can only imagine that as time goes by, the exchange rate for these items is going to skyrocket. So jump on it now and play that minigame. If I can just jump in about the Omega tech upgrade, because I have a pretty good experience with it today. I used an Omega Tech upgrade when I got home today with a two times research booster on a Mark II very rare beam. And it immediately had a 40% chance to go up in quality, which it did. For each additional rank that it went up, it had a 20% chance to go up in quality again to Epic, which it did about three or four marks later. And it, it critted on its technology points, so it actually went all the way to Mark Eight epic from mark two very rare and it's two-thirds of the way through mark eight so these are very potent upgrades and i think that you bring up a, a a good approach to this that it's it's better to use these with lower mark items than it would be if you already have a mark 14 because i i think i used four tech upgrades and i and i only got one item to gold i may have been using it wrong but it was like my first four Omega Tech upgrades, and I really wasn't too pleased with taking... It was it, They were already Mark 14 Ultra Rare, and I was trying to get them to gold, and I wasn't too thrilled at the results. So, I, you know, I think that your approach, which is use them on lower Mark gear, is kind of a surefire way of making sure you're going to get, get that epic. Now, so you did one Tech upgrade with one research boost two-time research boost and you got the and you got all of that i got all that from that now that was fairly fortunate i even got the weapons mod that i wanted at ultra rare so i was very lucky so this is an extreme example and like i said i critted it too um but keep in mind you were doing it before the patch so yours had half the chance of going up in quality or approximately half it, it really is going to depend on what you're trying to do. I mean, if, if you have an item that's already high in mark and you really would like it to go up in quality, no matter what you're trying to do, this is going to give you the best chance because it gives you more tech points and more research points than pretty much anything else. So you're not really using it wrong if you use it on high mark stuff. It's just for what I'm trying to do, which is get a set of beams, which I've been using the same beams for literally probably two years, I think. Or maybe not that long, but a year and a half. This is just my best opportunity to do it, because otherwise I'd be dumping a lot of dilithium and, and money into all of the stuff I need. I had a TAC console that was Mark 12, and it just I just used one 
and it got it to mark 13. And I can try it right now to see if it'll go up to four. No, it doesn't go to 14 with one. It goes to 86%. Yeah, so and close. that's I. I think that's what happened is that I had a Mark 14 console, ultra rare, and I was trying to get it to Epic, and I had to, and I used two of the tech upgrades, and it got to, it it boosted, but I didn't I didn't crit, and it didn't give me the gold until I used the third tech upgrade with a research boost and then I got it to gold. I mean it's still so, so much better though than the Yeah, it's still yeah. actually pretty lucky. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not I'm def I'm not disappointed necessarily, but um, I think that for like what you're doing, I, I, I don't have crafted cannons yet and I want to start getting my get a hold of cannons for, so that if I switch back to yeah. an escort I want to be ready. And so I think this is gonna be the way to go. I'm gonna craft all these tech upgrades and I'm gonna use the one and get it to gold, you know. Hopefully, get it to gold, and and then you know just do the rest with regular superior tech upgrades if need be. You know, like I want to save these. I want to collect these, and I kind of want to save these for a rainy day. So, how were you able to get so many so fast? What's your strategy? I just I I don't know. I, I well I, I sat I I parked myself in a, in like a location. Like you wait till you have the maximum amount before you put it in the crafting thing. Yes. Well, right yeah, now it's yeah, bugged. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, I, for me, I'm just going to wait until it's not bugged anymore, and then I'm going to start making them again. Like, I have, like, several fragments saved for when I can do it all at once. Maybe I'll wait till, like, the day before it stops and then just put them all in. But the bug doesn't affect your quantity, though. You can still churn out five tech upgrades in one shot. No, you can't. I thought the bug was that you cannot slot more than one of the projects like like no, before right it's the five at a time you can only do one at a time no 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 have so you looked at it today i'm just making sure that you've seen it i haven't so you okay, i well, cannot make five i cannot make a quantity no. five there's a difference between quantity five and then the five and then slotting a duplicate no, you project. absolutely cannot <gasps> what it is my professional opinion that now is the time to panic! Oh my god, they need to fix that immediately! That is horse- We are currently having a mental breakdown. Please stand by. Alright, so moving on. Loadout news. So, Admirals, what has become weekly coverage here on Priority One Podcast? We have patch notes regarding the loadouts. Jace, why don't you talk to us a little bit about it? The team has resolved an issue where sometimes the default away team bridge officer powered would be removed when switching to a loadout in space. They've also resolved an issue where selecting a loadout twice caused the entire power tray to empty out. Resolved an issue where discharging a bridge officer would clear out the currently loaded bridge officer station, and resolved an issue where equipped items would not appear in the equip list for new small crafts. So this segment is now officially a weekly loadout discussion segment, and here is my question. When are they <laughs> going to resolve the issue where I log into the game and my crew decided they went on lunch, or decided there was something more important to do than being on their assigned stations on my ship. 
I, you know, I have a confession to make. I actually haven't bothered to reassign my bridge officers for like two days because I've just been doing the mini game. Yeah, it might be fixed today. And guys. I figure that they're just going to get bumped out again anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know who I have to talk to. I, maybe I have to talk to the counselor on my ship or something because these guys just keep leaving me behind. I just don't, I don't get it. I don't know why they just, I show up on the bridge. Nobody's there to greet me. They're all telling you you take your engine out and then save it and then put your engine that back doesn't in work cookie it. i've tried it and then warp warp out of it doesn't work uh, none of these none of these voodoo magic then you rub your belly and pat your head at the same time <laughs> right. while hopping on one mecca foot. like a high mecca hiney ho none of that's gonna work <laughs> and we're done with loadout news With the anniversary event came the new Vaudoir lockbox, and inside comes the chance to win a playable ship or get enough lobby to purchase a new lobby ship. For starters, players have the chance of landing themselves a tier 6 Vaudoir Manassa assault cruiser, a quote, nimble ship with a focus on tactical seating and consoles. This ship has an intelligence bridge officer seat and comes equipped with the infamous Polaron barrage console seen frequently by the Vaudoir in space combat, end quote. Yeah, that Polaron Barrage console, I want it. Because that thing is mean. And not only will it do the, that that thing that we all scramble away from and and do, do the barrel roll, but it also provides an accuracy buff. Now, this console can only be equipped on these Vaudoir ships. So, sad panda. But my favorite thing about this ship, in addition to the polaron barrage is its mastery trait titled frontal assault which when activating any cannon enhancing ability for instance rapid fire scatter volley surgical strikes will provide a boost to your shield hardness and shield regeneration along your forward shield arc which is great for very nimble escorts right because you always want to do that alpha strike head first seriously this trait makes me want to get back into my escort and load it up with cannons and just start going crazy. But gosh darn it, I got my beams to Mark 14. Just spent all that money. Well, it's funny you say that because I'm working on the same thing and I'm thinking about making a torpedo boat now. Uh, <laughs> see, I don't... It, yeah, because oh, well. the command officers, right? The command space ability? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, the second ship, which will be available in the Lobi Crystal Store, is the Tier 6 Vaudoir Aztica Heavy Battle Cruiser, which, according to the blog, focuses more on survivability, but still maintains a strong focus on offensive firepower. This ship features a command hybrid boff seat in comparison to the lockbox ship, which is an Intel boff seat, and comes equipped with the Assault Mode Relays console. This console improves critical hit chance at the cost of maneuverability. However, if you load this console on its lockbox sister, the trade-off on maneuverability is less severe and engages additional forward-facing shield improvements. So it's like a set bonus only based on which ship it's on. This low-buy crystal store ship will allow captains to earn the supremacy mastery trait, which will give a small boost to all subsystem power anytime you damage an enemy while under the effects of beam fire at will or cannon scatter volley. And this boost stacks up to 20 times. So I haven't seen a lot of analysis of this yet, but this is 
starting to look like one of those must-have traits, and I really like this ship to begin with. It's got a real, like, retro World War II kind of battleship vibe, kind of like the way a lot of the Vodwire stuff does. I really like it. I, I may have to pick this one up. So like the other lockboxes, there's a lot of other goodies that we just don't have the time to get into. So admirals, we encourage you to check out the overview blog and the blog detailing the specs for the ships on the official Star Trek Online website. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. And if lockbox ships weren't enough, players can also get their hands on the new anniversary ship, the Kobali Samsar Cruiser. Now this is a very tough, heavy-duty, tanky cruiser. It's sort of like a Tier six galaxy almost uh, but it does have a lieutenant commander command engineering combined bridge officer station it's got a little bit better turn rate than some of the previous tanky cruisers at a seven degrees base and its console the regenerative integrity field which was mentioned in the rp blog will do two things first of all it gives a passive bonus to your hull healing so all the time your hull repairs itself faster but when you activate it it gives you a large hull heal that is stronger the lower your health is and then it will cause all directed energy attacks that you fire to heal your ship for the amount of damage dealt so that's a little bit like the romulan valdore console only it's while it's active it has that effect not just passively all the time but it gives the passive hull healing the rest of the time it can be equipped on any starship unlike the lobian lockbox consoles for the vodwire so it's pretty interesting today we unlocked the first of the set pieces for the Kobali item set from Dust to Dust. So that's another very tanky set that you can combine well with the Samsar Cruiser. I really like the design of it. It looks mean. Cookie, you're in the process of setting that ship up now, right? Um, I finished. I don't, I don't like the engineering aspect of it. I need more tack. I'm not a healer anymore. I'm all about the DPS now. And so this ship has three tactical consoles and four engineering? Yeah, it's five engineering, three tactical, three science. Wow. Yeah. I went right. to Argala and just finished it up in one night, and I was like, I'm done with this ship. But it's so pretty. Well, I'm curious to see what your DPS output is, so maybe next week you can follow up with us about what your experience with it has been since setting it up. Well, that wraps up Star Trek Online news for this week. Let's continue our interview with Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, followed by the new executive producer, Steven Salami Inferno Ricosa. Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha One Alpha. Logs accessed. Admirals, and we continue our interview with Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, Star Trek Online's lead designer. And this week, we will dive into some community questions submitted by you on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash priority one. Well, there's a lot to cover, and unfortunately, we just don't have the time to touch on everything that was released with the anniversary event. So let's start asking these community questions. Now, me first. Al, I want to have a sit-down talk with you about the loadout system for a moment. <laughs> what can you tell us about the mechanic? I don't know anything about it. And why? <laughs> was it me? <laughs> a loadout system should be pretty solid right now. Are you still having problems? I'm currently not having any problems, but I do feel your pain because it has frustrated me that things keep breaking on it. But uh, at this point, we'll see what happens, right? Not since the anniversary event. Yeah. I haven't had an issue. But then again, I haven't... Well, I know I have changed maps, and so far it's been pretty stable. But do you know what was causing the problem? Like In the weeks leading up to the fifth anniversary event, sometimes you'd log in, 
and there were no bridge officers in your station. And all honestly, it's just stupid bugs. And this is entirely very little that uh, the design department has to do with those levels, just technical bugs that are just failing on some reasons. And then, you know, you fix one thing, you cause another bug, and bugs happen. So it's been too buggy for my tastes, considering the amount of time that's put into it. It's still a fantastic system. The new uh, uh, bridge officer training system doesn't exactly work with the loadouts, but it still works with the loadouts. And that was a really weird answer. But basically, whatever you put on your ship will be remembered, but it's not remembered in the loadouts. It's just remembered for that ship. So you can't have different bridge officer loadouts with the loadouts, but it is saved for the ship. So um, they're not necessarily tied together, but they are remembered per ship. So why has it broken? Just because humans and hopefully the war service is behind us at this point. I mean, we've got the new system now. I think it's live now. If you get a brand new ship, it'll try to move all the items over from your last ship, which will be a really good time saver for any new ship. It'll work for any ship that doesn't have a loadout. So even if you have an old ship that you didn't modify, as soon as you modify a ship, it gets a default loadout. So if you've never modified a ship, when you go into it and you load it up, it will take the items from your last one. So the whole thing is supposed to make things easier, but yeah, it's frustrating when you log in and your bridge officers are missing or your powers are missing or uh, your items are not there. All right, so I had learned something else the hard way recently. Um, I'm not a crafter in any way. I've never been a crafter in any of the MMOs that I've ever played, but I am you know, trying to level up to 15 so I can start making at least my own tech upgrades. And in doing so, I haven't had to worry about catalysts. So, you know, this was just plain ignorance. I recognize that it was ignorance, what I'm about to say. But I go to create the new Omega Particles, right? I start to participate, and the first time I did it, I threw in Catalysts, not realizing that they're not going to do anything. Oh, that's unfortunate. It is. It is. So... The Catalysts don't do anything for the Omega Particle ones? No, because the way it was explained to me when I was talking about it in Sector Space on the Priority One TeamSpeak channel is that... When you load it up, there's only one bar at the top. There's only one success bar at the top. So you're going to success no matter what. Catalysts will not affect the outcome. It won't you know, give you an extra one. Right. They improve your effective skill, and since it's an automatic success, it doesn't matter. Whereas you were thinking maybe it gives you an improved chance to like crit and get more than one. Yes, yes. Yeah, like for instance, if you make a component and you put a catalyst and you increase your crit chance, and you might get multiple components right when you crit on components there because you don't get higher quality right you get an extra and one. i knew that with components so that's why when so i so that's just that just stinks that shouldn't be like that it should not accept catalysts or it should uh, if it does accept a catalyst it should have a chance of crit and getting multiple ones of those and so i would think that the easier way to fix that would be to allow crit chance on those and allow you to get multiple ones of those yeah, that should be addressed. I'm only noticing that now for the first time. So don't do that. Don't do that right don't now. Don't do that right Admiral's. now. Don't don't uh, <laughs> spend catalysts on that, and don't learn the Elijah way, the hard way. You learn everything the hard way, Elijah. Don't get me started. <laughs> I've had a couple conversations with folks in the community, and especially folks from the DPS league, uh, who have made some posts and done some number crunching. And now that I'm level sixty, I've observed this myself that it seems like hangar pets are actually underperforming what kind of damage they did prior to Delta Rising even. I understand that they were seen as overperforming initially when the expansion first launched, like they were scaling too much, and then they were reduced, especially their hit points was like out of whack. Like they had more hit points than characters for a little while. 
but it seems like now they don't even do as much damage as they did back when I was 50th level. They do less damage than they were 50 or less proportional damage? Less actual damage, like the actual amount of damage they do over the period of an entire queue or whatever you're doing at the time. Not percentage of total damage, actual raw damage, like 2,000 per pet. Actual raw damage per shot or per encounter, you're saying? Encounter. It could be, if it's per encounter, are you killing things faster than you did before? In which case, they just won't have an opportunity to do more damage. I, I, would, I find it very surprising if they were actually doing less damage than they were before because they just run off a table which just goes up. I can't confirm or deny that. I'm not aware of any problems like that. We can take a look at that. I'm making some notes as we're talking here about carrier pets. I would be shocked if it actually went down. I just can't see, but it's certainly anything is possible. Yeah, I've tried to normalize for the things that I could. I mean, obviously ISA is not exactly the same as the old ISE, but it's similar. The runs that I do now seem to take about the same amount of time. They have a similar group composition. I've been in groups where everybody else did less damage than me and groups where I'm kind of like the norm. You know, carriers are very powerful. Carrier pets were always doing ended up doing a lot more damage at level 50. They were overperforming to our expectations compared to other gear. So they were pretty powerful. So I know that we modified it so that way they proportionally, they still went up in damage, or they're supposed to be going up in damage from 50 to 60, not as much as they did, say, from, well, even though you don't get carriers technically from levels 1, but you can, if you're an Orion, you can get a carrier pet at, like, level 30 or something like that. The rate at which they were improving was slowing down to try to normalize them in comparison to other gear. But it certainly shouldn't be going down. But I'll just have to take a look and see. I hadn't seen or heard of any problems before. The only thing I could see is if you're just doing a complete parsing, how much damage it did in an encounter, and if you killed something more quickly, then, yeah, then maybe they just didn't get to shoot as much. Yeah, that was my thought too, but it seemed to be that the runs are taking about the same amount of time, so I'm not sure if there's something else that's different. I've seen data from a few different people that have sort of come to the same conclusion. I waited to say anything about it until I could do it with my own eyes because I lagged behind in leveling up. You know, one thing that you can do to, uh, to test that is seeing how it performs when you're fighting level 60 critters, like fighting in a patrol versus fighting in a queue, in a basic queue. Because when you're in a basic queue, you're sidekick down to level 50. The critters in there are level 50, so you're scaled down. And maybe if you're doing parsing there, you might see a reduction. Like if you're running a basic queue, you are scaled down to 50. And so you might see, just because of the confluence of numbers, a reduction of what you were doing before, because we do reduce your effectiveness when you go down there. Maybe that's what you're seeing. I've never done any of the new normals. I've only done advanced. You've only done advanced cues. Okay. So try it in the different environments, like patrols and basic cues and advanced cues, and see if you see a difference in performance, because depending on the and content, we scale you uh, accordingly. So that would be the only thing that I could think of that might cause that anomaly. Otherwise, I would just have to confirm. Yeah. I'll see what, I can, what else I can find out about it. I'm... Uh Still learning about it, but while we had you, I wanted to ask you. I'm curious, since you were talking about how they were performing relative to a percent of overall damage, if you had sort of an idea in mind for that. I couldn't tell you the exact percentages, but I do know that, let's just say, I'll make up some numbers, that at level 50, that carrier pets were doing 100 damage, I'm just making up numbers, doing 100 DPS, and we're accounting for, you know, 30% of your damage. At level 60, they should be doing more damage, let's say 150 DPS, 
but now only maybe counting for 25% of your damage. So other things should be counting more than your pets as you go up. Those numbers I just made up because I don't remember the exact numbers, but that's generally what should have happened. It shouldn't have gone to 90 PPS, right? So the intention would be that it increases its raw amount of damage, but mm -hmm. maybe does a smaller percentage of your overall damage because of other things that have improved up to 60. Yes, Mark 14 gear, for instance, and tier, tier 6 ships and everything, uh, involved with the uh, mystery and everything should be increasing at a faster rate than the pets themselves. Okay, sounds good. We'll see what else we can find out about that. I appreciate you looking into it. Admiral Quinn at Captain Cisco asked if there were any plans to repair ionic turbulence for PVPers so that it doesn't disable you in stack. Right now it's a showstopper along with surgical strikes, perhaps adding a PVP modifier. This would at least make PVP playable again. And are there any plans to improve or update PvP? This would be something that I'll have to talk with Jeremy about, because he made that. So basically what should happen to anything like ionic turbulence or any powers like that, that you should have a, an immunity time from it so it doesn't happen again. And there should be an immunity time on it, but maybe the immunity time is just too short or not working. So regardless of where it's at, I mean, you should be immune to any disabling effects after you've been hit by a certain power for a good amount of time so you can't be chain chain held or chain disabled in this case that's pretty basic stuff we do all the time it's missing from there these were just examples i think the main issue is the powers are so strong that it's basically one shot and the game is over yeah what they call vaping builds i think are totally dominating pvp if the question is specifically about ionic turbulence if it's stacking disables that should be fixed and so we can take a look at that and overall question about whether or not, you know, they're vaping builds or, you know, PvP is too deadly right now. It's pretty natural progression. It's not particularly that much of a surprise, but people just get better and better at PvP and better and better at their builds. What we wanted to do is uh, try a quick experiment with PvP, and that is basically put a zone-wide buff in the game. So while you're in a PvP match, you say have, I don't know, triple hit points and shields? The increase the survivability, and we'll probably run that for a while on triple to see how that feels. We don't have a lot of time dedicated to work on PvP. We just don't. We want to. It's certainly one of the big orphans in the game that we want to improve, and we never have enough time to do everything, so probably the next big thing we'll spend a lot of time on updating will be the skill tree before we'll get to PvP. Star Trek Online is a big game with a lot of systems, and these questions keep coming up. When are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? And I'd love to do them all, but... We do ones that we think are better for the overall health of the game. That's the one that we focus on first. And so bridge officer training, skill trees, crafting. We're making first steps towards exploration now with the introduction of the top three missions on Foundry, and we're going to be able to expand on that. This is basically our first steps of adding exploration back into the game. So the game is just is growing like that, and basically we focus on what the most players play and the thing that we feel is going to be the overall most important thing. But it's not that we not want to do anything for PvP. It's just that it's a pretty large task for probably be a pretty small return. But it's still not something we're going to shy away from. It's just something that doesn't always make it on the schedule, unfortunately. Now, I'm sure players are probably going to think, okay, so what if the concern is about the return on investment, which I see, I'm not much of a PvPer myself. If there is a group of players that really want to get into PvP, what would be the best way to try to you know, show and demonstrate, hey, if you build it, we will come kind of thing. Well, there's always this argument of a chicken and an egg kind of thing, and that if we build it, they will come, and that's a fair argument. 
unfortunately, our data doesn't always show that, although you know, we don't have a lot of data to show that. But the data that we do have in general is that you know, once you have an MMO and you establish what kind of MMO it is, you kind of becomes a self-selecting audience. I mean, a great example would be like, and it was a while ago though, it won't be it, but City of Heroes, you know, we launched City of Heroes and it says, why don't you have villains? Why don't you have villains? This is okay, we're going to add villains to City of Heroes and everybody wants villains and everyone wants PvP and it's going to really change the game. And we add it and it didn't change the game. Nobody played PvP in that game either because uh, people who wanted PvP had already left the game and people who wanted to play villains you know, wasn't nearly as popular as playing heroes. So there's something to be said about that. I don't think for a moment that if we were to add huge PvP revamp to Star Trek Online that we would get droves of people coming to Star Trek Online just to check out the PvP. I think Star Trek Online has its appeals, why people play, and I'm not sure if PvP is really one of them. So I think that when it comes to a system like that, that it's not something that we want to remove from the game and not something we want to abandon, it's harder to invest a lot of time in from the business. So we have to find smart ways to try to invest in it, to take baby steps to see whether or not it is really something to continue to invest in. Some of the ways to do that is, for instance, get involved more with non-direct PvP kind of elements. So we have some systems that are planned that are kind of competitive play, but not zero-sum PvP competitive play, right? So your team does this environment thing, kind of like we did like territory control in you know the battle zones, but in a competitive state. Right now we have that with critters, like in the Voth battle zone, you're trying to take these points and, and the Voth are trying to take it as well, take it back. So you could build a system like that. PvP can be intimidating. It's really intimidating. Do you want to play PvP, Cookie? Are you interested in playing PvP with the... Uh... Yes. You are? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Why haven't you played? Well... I've tried it a couple times, but like I said, it's like a few seconds and you're dead, and then that's it. You're dead, right, yeah. So there's kind of no point. (laughs) It's a very competitive environment where people have to be, you know, amazeballs to really compete in there. A direct zero-sum PvP game will always breed that kind of play style, and then will always kind of shut out more average or even slightly above average players, unless you do some sort of matchmaking where you kind of okay, you're this skill level, so we match these skill level PvP players. And that's a pretty advanced system to build. If I was up against someone that had the DPS that I have currently, I don't know that I could survive. So, <laughs> because I don't think there's enough heals to compensate for the damage. Right. And I don't think I can click it quick enough either. I don't know. Right. Well, it's certainly going to be much faster, and it's always going to be harder in PvP, which is why I talked about you know trying an experiment of just doing lower-hanging fruit-type strategies like putting a map-wide power on the map that just triples your hit points or your or your shields so that way you are more survivable and have more time to react and see how that feels. There are probably going to be a lot of ramifications of doing something like that, but it's actually not that hard to do. So we're going to probably do some stuff like that that is simple to do. PvP is just not something in Star Trek Online that we invest a lot of time in. It's just not. I don't want to keep making excuses or half-baked promises that we're going to do it, but it is not something we want to abandon or remove from the game. But when we do it, we want to experiment and see what the return is, and then if there's a good return, if it works, then we'll invest in it and do it right. From the beginning, you know, from about a year, year and a half ago, we kind of like started a new mission statement about we don't want any more orphans in this game. We want to improve all these major systems and, make, and just continue to grow Star Trek Online so that way new people coming into the game, they have a very different experience than they did when we launched the game five years ago and those systems have been crafting and bridge officer systems and we want to fix the skill vamp and 
And all the things that we've, all the dozens of systems that we've just changed over and over again, dozens is probably a little bit hyperbole, but all the systems we've revamped, and one of those on the list is PvP. We want to make that a better experience. One experience we want to do change, for instance, for players is leveling up to it or ranking up. Like when you get a brand new starship, mm -hmm. do you remember the first time that you leveled, ranked up and became a lieutenant commander and got a brand new starship, what that experience was like to get into a new ship? Picking a new ship and figuring out what you had to do. I don't think that experience is really all that user-friendly. And that's an experience that we want to improve. So when it comes right down to it, you place your bets on where you think is the most efficient thing to improve, and then you rest in it. Foundry's another one. Same kind of questions from Foundry authors. And now we added this one Foundry bit here. That's one of the steps that I want to do is put the Foundry top three out there, get more people to play Foundry. I love that. We start making that more successful. We can put better rewards associated with that now. I understand what the issue is, but um, I have nothing I can tell you at this point that, yeah, we have plans for Season 10 to have a complete PvP system, you know, revamp or anything like that. We do have another thing, probably two big things that we have planned for 2015, two major system overhauls. Maybe not overhauls isn't the right answer. Certainly skill trees is one thing we said will be a major system overhaul and will hopefully get done currently tentatively scheduled in 2015 and another system that we're doubling down on to improve that I don't want to talk about right now that will come out in 2015. So somewhere in there, if we can get PVP, that would be great too. I know it's something people want. It's not always up to me either. It's up to the business models about what makes most sense. And then those objectives come down and it's like, okay, then it's my job to make sure that whatever that objective is, that I make sure that it gets done in the best possible way. So we touched on this a little bit with Jeremy during our video interview with him on Friday evening, which players can watch at youtube.com forward slash P1 network. Chris Trone asked on Facebook, if there were any plans to introduce new game mechanics or mission objectives that really spotlight healers and support classes, for instance, the new command specialization tree is really team-oriented. And might there be a tree for support classes coming down the pike? Specifically, he's asking whether or not there will be a new specialization tree for support classes. Is that the, is that the crux of the question? I think specifically, it more general. Things always kind of seem to be very DPS-heavy. And then now we have, for instance, a command. I'm just kind of tying it all together, for instance, with the command tree, where the command tree is requiring players or incentivizing players to think as a team and work together as a team. The command tree is a, yeah, is a team-oriented specialization. You know, definitely. That's its design. As are some specializations more for ground and some for more for space and so forth. Right. The specialization tree is a really good feature for us to add things like that to say this is a specialization tree really kind of designed for escorts. Or this is something really just kind of designed for this kind of play style. And once we're getting closer to having a foundation of basics, then it's very easy for us to have far more, even more very highly specialized specializations, such as this one's a really good healer specialization or this one's an engineering specialization kind of thing. I think that we're getting pretty close at this point. The next specialization that we're planning on working on is a little more dedicated towards one type of ship class style. I would say command is a little cruiser-oriented. Right. Works, you know, well with being a support ship and a tank ship and someone with, you know, with already having auras. Intel is kind of science-y, but it's still also a little more generalized, although we would want to do a highly specialized science-based specialization would make a lot of sense as some sort of, like, I don't know what we would call it. What would you call it? 
like a astrophysicist or something like that kind of specialization. So that would be fun. That'd be a fun one to do. I think that you could definitely see more highly specialized specializations going forward. We've talked about, oh, we could, this allows us to do things like we could just do counselor, right? Or we could do communications officer. We could do all these kind of things. And the fact that we have primary and secondary means that we could do lots of secondary ones that are far less time intensive to build and they don't have bridge officers associated with them. So we can kind of crank out smaller ones with that. And so I think it's a really good system to allow us to do exactly what uh, sounds like he's asking for. I think so. I think he's hungry. Ultimately, I think he's getting at that for some of the more traditional experiences in other MMOs in terms of healers and support classes that there's a bit of a hunger to see more for those players to do in queues. And- yeah, I mean, the question is kind of asking is there, you know, are they going to have more mechanics or mission objectives that rely on, uh, on spotlight healers or support classes? Certainly no intention to add mission objectives specifically towards healer or support classes. We certainly do have some mission objectives that, like in the mirror event, right, if you're a science vessel, you can close these portals faster. I've heard the argument before about whether or not Star Trek Online, you know, doesn't have the Holy Trinity as much. It's not that specialized. But yeah, I mean, we've tried to, with Delta Rising, to kind of polarize the ships a little bit more. So that, you know, with ship mastery, you get, you know, cruisers get more tanky and escorts get more DPS-y and science vessels get more science-y. And now we've even got secondary deflectors, which really ups the game on science vessels. If you haven't had a chance to check out secondary deflectors now, they, they really kind of focus your play style to be a, you know, a healer or a, a buffer or a debuffer. It can really improve those roles. But Star Trek Online was designed to be a little more solo-friendly insofar that your ships and your classes do have your individual roles, but they're not hyper-specialized. And the sheer fact that on a ship, that even on a science vessel, you have tactical slots and engineering slots unlike a traditional Holy Trinity MMO, where if you are a cleric, you get cleric powers. And if you're a ninja or, or assassin or a fighter or whichever, whatever game you're playing, you're basically going to be doing DPS. And if you're a, some sort of brute or brick or tank or barbarian, you're going to be the tank role. And you don't have access to any notable amounts of high DPS or high healing powers if you're in that role. Star Trek Online lets you dabble. That's the whole point. And even on the ground, if you're one particular class, you have an away team, which supports the rest of that. So that's the design of Star Trek Online. And so even though we do try to find career-specific objectives and things that are better if you're in this particular career, like the mirror event, science vessels being able to close one thing better, that sort of thing, I don't think you should expect much more than that from Star Trek Online. I don't think you'll see any mission-specific objectives, but I do think you'll see play-style improvements like specializations being allowing you to make your science vessel more sciencey. You know, science vessels don't do the DPS as escorts, and that's just what they do, but they do kill things in a very different way. So that's kind of how support classes work, but it's not a pure support class. Nothing in Star Trek Online is that, is that pure, and that's just by design. Sarcasm Detector asked, when Delta Rising first launched, if you maxed out your spec points, you would then get Dilithium for every extra spec point you earned. But then this was removed. Are there any plans to initiate it again? I was actually just talking about this on Friday. Uh, I think it's something that we kind of forgot about, but we did remove that because there was you know, such an exploit for a while. I think that you can probably look forward to having that 
returned once we get all the rewards back in place to where we want them to be, so there's no XP grinding exploits and things are far more normalized. I want it back. We just had to take it out because of an exploit of problems. But yeah, that should come back. It's a good question. It's planned to come back. Michael Langor asked via Facebook about the future for the KDF. Is there plans for more content, visual updates to existing content, stories? There are more ships. There's a new Klingon ship coming out very, very soon. I think Klingons are really going to dig it. It's very cool. Now we're looking at, in general, one of the things that really works for us really well are what we call like the bundle bundles. You know, three fed, three Klingons, and three Romans. They're very expensive for us to build, but they're also are very popular. And so I think you can look forward to that more because, I mean, with the addition of Starship traits, it's now more important for us to make sure that when we make a new ship that we also make sure that all factions get access to at least something equivalent, even if it's basically identical, uh, except in art and some minor adjustments, that all three fractions need that so they get access to the same amount of Starship traits. So yes, so there's more ships coming. As far as content updates, you know, last time we did a major content update was Legacy Ramos. It's been about a year. We specifically ended the war between Klingons and Federations, so we didn't have to make content just for Klingons anymore. Um, We do have a lot of story content planned for the next year, and some of that story content is planned to be played from the Klingon perspective, kind of like when Cisco went on a mission to Kronos and dressed up as Klingons. I'm not saying you're going to dress up as Klingons, but basically instead of being you know, Federation-centric. You're going to go do something with the Klingons. So we want to kind of do more that side of the story as opposed to just doing this is a Klingon mission. We don't, we haven't released a faction-specific mission in I don't know how long. It's just not really worth it. So that's why we needed to end the war so that way all our missions going forward could be faction-agnostic. However, we are continuing very regularly updating our old content. So We've updated the beginning Federation arc. We updated the Borg arc, which is available to everybody. We just updated the Romulan arc, which everybody should be playing. That's something we we haven't really talked much about because uh, everyone's very excited about Dust to Dust. And then the next one we want to update is the Cardassian arc. And then somewhere right after that, I want to update the Fekiri arc on the Klingon side. So I want to go and update that arc. So I'm trying to get rid of all the old content from launch. Just replace it with all brand new, with higher quality that we've done now. Because that stuff was old, that stuff we spent days on, we're spending weeks on it now. It's like spending ten times more time on our content, and we know how to make content better, and we've got voice actors and cutscenes, and so we want all our content to be that good. But Cardassian arc will come next, then either the Klingon Fekiri arc, or maybe we'll redo the Breen featured series. There's split opinions on which one to do next. I made a Klingon tune and I was planning on using it more, but it was very frustrating when I wanted to play with my friends and they couldn't invite me to the team or and I couldn't do any PVEs with them, so I kind of stopped. Because your friends were because your friends were a federation, it. you mean? Yeah. But you have That's a whole Klingon. We have a whole Klingon fleet, though, don't you? Priority one does. Priority one. Yeah. Yeah, but not all the friends I play with are in that fleet. But it's seventeen percent of our player base, so there's really like seven people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just feels so lonely. Yeah. Well, even if I update that content, I'm not sure whether or not I can fix that problem. And generally, I mean, I think that Klingons are very popular as far as the IP is concerned. But when it comes right down to it, the Star Trek online game, and it's no surprise that most people want to play Federation. This is not a game of, like, red versus blue. This is a game of Federation versus, maybe not necessarily versus, but who do you want to play? And there's so much more story about Federation 
there's never been a Klingon movie. And so most people go and most people choose Federation first. And we released our numbers in the infographic about the percentage of people playing Federation versus Klingon versus Romulan. At least Romulans get to play, for the most part, with feds. They choose Federation. Right. You have to look at those numbers. They're also slightly askew because even though whatever percentage of people were like 17 or something percent were playing Romulans, um, the same percentage of those Romulans were either Federation aligned or Klingon aligned. So... Which really still was originally a two-faction game. Which is why, though, we end the war towards the end. And, well, if we do, we should just let you be able to team up. Yeah, there should be peace now. Once you're level 50 and just team up with players. That seems like something that we should be able to do pretty easily. That would be so nice. But, um, you know, same thing with City of Heroes and City of Villains. Most people just played heroes and villains, at least while it was in Cryptic's hands. I don't know if that changed when it moved to uh, Paragon. As much as some people really like to play the gritty guy or the bad guy, most players want to play the quintessential hero. It's just what tends to be more popular in a game like Star Trek. Everyone wants to be Kirk or Spock or something like one of their favorite characters. So, There will probably always be far less people playing Klingons than there are playing Federation. And so you may find less people to play with. There's always people on Quonos, so you can always make friends. It's not like you can't make new friends and play with more people. It's not it's impossible, but if you want to keep that to a small number of people, then I, I don't know what to tell you. But it doesn't mean I don't want to update that content. My goal is to replace all our old content with really solid voiced content. We'll get to it all. Well, let's go to Quonos and we can both make some new friends together and yeah, write I, PMs. I, I, to I, yeah, we can make it. <laughs> <laughs> My Klingon is a, he's a liberated Borg over there. He's a Klingon tactical liberated Borg. I don't think he's even in a fleet, though. Chris Keen asked on Facebook, Last year, Al talked on Priority One a little bit about a meeting that was set to take place to discuss the possible expansion or scrapping of the gateway system. Please, could you tell us what was the outcome of that meeting? I don't remember talking about that. I can probably tell you that at this point in time, there's no plans, unfortunately, to invest more in the gateway system. <sighs> you have broken my heart. I knew that would break your heart. So bad. But, but I have no reason to just lie to you or lead you on. But uh, oh, it's, And I, I would love it, to see it happen. Why? It is just not a direction that Cryptic is prepared to invest in. It's a business decision. It's an expensive investment for them to do. And basically whether or not it's basically does Cryptic want to invest in mobile technologies for a while we thought that we might want to and then for a while that we thought we didn't and then we thought we did and right now we don't think that we do but it's gone back and forth so much that it's entirely possible that we might do that again but for now those plans are on hold that's really what it boils down to i'm sorry i really would love it i think i'm dying to get those in there all the pieces on our side are in place you know as far as getting duty officers and crafting on the gateway but the rest of it is really basically outside of the sto team right it's not an sto team we don't sto team does not do gateway we don't do mobile so it's other teams that do that and so those team resources are currently working on other things right now that is so sad i mean you know every player has their dream feature for Star Trek Online and mine was certainly the gateway mm -hmm. and I think for many, you know, over PvP over Klingon. I think it'd be really fun I'd totally be yeah. walking around with my iPad and just or Android tablet. No, well, that's why we're not doing it <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah, and just uh, doing what I'm doing now, I'm talking to you is just running my R&D projects and my rep projects and my duty officer assignments, right? 
right now those plans are on hold indefinitely. Sorry, I would love to see more of that, but no. Moneybags wrote in asking, was it a conscious philosophical change by Cryptic to move players away from character and account-bound currencies like fleet marks and reputation marks, and now towards a, an EC-based economy with the introduction of the uh, research and development system. Absolutely wasn't a conscious or philosophical change to move people to an EC-based economy. That's just kind of something that just happened organically by the players. We don't have an EC-based economy. That is just the tradable economy that has always been in the game. You know, the economy is still dilithium-based, and that's what you can spend money on. And I mean, the whole idea of, say, for instance, the upgrade system, which is coming through the R&D system, is dilithium-based costs. The fact that people are trading those upgrades for so much energy credits and they're in so much demand right now is more of a fault on how difficult it became to make those upgrades. And so we've been doing things that whatever we can to make that easier by increasing the drop rate of rare materials and decreasing the cost of crafting and now letting you run three research projects so it's easier for everyone to get at least one school very quickly to level 15 so they can make their own upgrade kits and so there'll be more of those on the exchange and we're trying to do whatever we can to reduce the pressure on those costs. Certainly was not intentional. It doesn't do us any good one way or the other. I'm actually happy to see that energy credits has more of a, a role in the game. It's certainly inflation is really high, but it doesn't do us any good because it's a zero sum. That's a zero sum economy and that is not a good economy. The lithium is not zero sum. You make resources and there's sinks. The reason why energy credit prices keep going up and up and up is because there's no drain. You sell something for a million EC and then you buy something for a million EC, you're giving that million EC to someone else and then he's just going to give that million EC to someone else to buy what he wants. So meanwhile, the game is constantly making more EC. So it's a terrible economy. So it's not what we want to base it on. So we add more and more sinks that we can in energy credits, but it's inflated so much that it's not something that's really easy to correct. So our main economy is still dilithium as far as we're concerned, and we just want to make things a little more accessible so that way those exchange costs, which are entirely player-driven, will come down. So no, we are not that clever to figure out, we'll do this and people will sell things for millions of energy credits and that'll be great and somehow that will make the game better. No, that wasn't. That just organically happened. So we continue to try to relieve that pressure wherever we can. So when the servers go down or when the game crashes, what do you guys do at Cryptic? We do absolutely nothing. Star Trek Online does basically nothing. We're the developers of the game, especially in design, for instance, and that includes myself, that we don't control the servers. We build the game and we send them out to the knock, and then the knock runs the game. If the servers crash or if there's a problem, it's usually up to you know the network operations center to get it back online. If there's a bug, because there's lots of reasons why the server might crash. It could be load capacity, it could be a bug, it could be a piece of hardware breaks. If there's a bug, then that will go to an engineer, Stephen D'Angelo. I mean, he's you know, our CTO, so he's generally in charge of a lot of that stuff. But sometimes it's got nothing to do with us whatsoever. It's just somebody tripped on a cord in Boston or something. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but stuff like that can happen. We've had a complete hardware failure of something recently. A whole machine just died of an important machine. So it's just hardware. It just happens. But if there's a bug, then an engineer, our lead engineer, will usually just go and make a fix for that, and then we'll do what we call a Franken-build or something, and then basically it's a patch to the server, and then that will get things back up and running. But for the most part, for most of the team, including design, we were finished with the anniversary like a month ago. We've got nothing to do with whatever happened at this point. 
as far as server stability. Certainly other bugs come up, like crafting the Omega upgrade. We should fix that. Or like the Omega minigame being broken on Earth's space dock. Those bugs come in in design or art, whoever will have to fix those bugs. But design can do very, very little. It is very, very hard for design or art to do something that would cause a server crash. I wouldn't know how to do it if I wanted to do it intentionally. So when something like that happens, it's nine times out of ten, it's just something has to be reconfigured in a network operation center to fix that problem. And then sometimes it's a code bug that an engineer will fix. But mostly we're done, and we're just moving on to the next update. So twittering me that server is broken is a complete waste of time. There's nothing I can do about that. I can't fix it. I don't have the contact information of the people who can fix it. Someone already knows about it before you do because they get, as soon as something breaks and the server goes down, the machine will page people and those people go and they fix things. So that stuff is all automatic and uh, I appreciate the letting me know, but I'm playing here and the server crashes for me and I'm the same thing. Aw, it crashed. There's nothing I can do. So it's a big machine. Like we don't control the website. I don't control when things go live. Right? It's like, when's this bug going to be fixed? Well, I don't know. We already fixed it like three weeks ago. When is it going to go live? Whenever QA approves it and whenever release management decides that this is important enough to bring the server down. Because every time you bring the server down to put a bug fix up, it costs money. It doesn't cost money because we have to pay someone to do it. It costs money because if people aren't playing, people aren't paying. They're not spending. So we don't like to take the server down especially during a new update where there's lots and thousands and thousands of people playing and then you kick them out and they say, oh damn, and they go and they leave and they play something else. So there's always a risk of losing people and losing money when you take things down. So it's a risk versus reward whether or not the release team wants to put something live or not. So that's a whole other group, a whole other group of people that handle that stuff. Just like it's a whole other group that puts things on the web or has anything to do with, say, the C-Store or like anything to do with Steam or anything to do with uh, logging in or passwords or fraud. Those are all different departments and stuff. We are the game designers, so we're in charge of designing the game. But that's it. The rest of the stuff is other people. Okay. Cool. So, Elijah, this is the part of the show where we turn the <laughs> questions over to you. Is there anything okay. that you would like to share um, that you would like to tell us about? Um, sorry, I was on autopilot there. <laughs> I just figured that had to happen. <laughs> no, this is the part of the show where you get to ask, you get to come at me oh, yeah, because right. I upset you over the last several <laughs> no, weeks for something that I might have said. <laughs> no, I don't No, Nothing bad was said. No. Is there anything other to talk about? I love sharing the story. If you saw me on uh, Twitter, or if you saw on boards at the end of the, our anniversary party, a piece of mail came in a package from a player, from a fan and I recorded the video, an unboxing video of it, and it's up on my YouTube channel. You can see it if you follow my Twitter channel. The nice fan, uh, Alex, uh, his name is Alex, um, sent, us, uh, sent us some Star Trek Micro Machine toys and with a very nice letter of gratitude for Star Trek Online that he'd been playing since beta and that he really appreciated the game. He appreciated our interactions on podcasts and influences his desire to want to pursue a career in video game development, and I thought it was just a very nice thing. It was, the timing was appropriate. It was perfect, just like right at the end of our party. And uh, so it made our day, and we really appreciate it. So I want to send a big shout-out and a thank you to Alex for sending that over. We're very grateful. Thank you very much. We'll put a link in the show notes. Definitely put a link to the show notes. That would be great. 
And, uh, you know, it's 2015 now, and we start the year off with a really big bang with our fifth anniversary. It's a pretty massive anniversary. It's probably our biggest anniversary release. We've already got our plan all the way through season 11 already planned out for 2015. Our story's already planned out. We've got several of our uh, celebrity guests already planned out. We've had another celebrity guest coming in. Oh, that reminds me. Yes, what's that? I don't know who said it and where it came in passing. I think it was in Sector Space that you had a meeting with Felicia Day? Oh, I went to the Supernatural convention, was here in San Francisco, and so I paid my $45 to get her autograph, and I talked with her. I'd love to get her in the game. And so, yeah, I reached out to her, and so I have her contact info, and if we can make that happen, I think that would be absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of Felicia Day, and she's a big gamer icon, so I think it'd be a huge win. You know, she's really good friends with Will Wheaton. So that might be kind of fun if we could make that happen. But there's not like we have a signed contract or anything. I try to go to these things and meet as many of these celebrities as possible to try to see where we can make them fit. You know, we definitely have celebrities planned for the year. We have one recording in the next couple of weeks, as a matter of fact, to do some more VO recordings. So we have another celebrity already in the pipeline and uh, two more shortly after that. So it's going to keep coming. We've got a lot of story planned for 2015. A good cadence of story missions. A lot of them are already made, or at least partially made. So, yeah, this is going to be a good year of regular story content um, that everyone should be very excited about, as well as continued updates and improvements to the game, as, as we've always been doing. So, yeah, we're just getting started. Awesome. Well, thank you so very much, Al, for joining us and celebrating the fifth year anniversary of Star Trek Online with us here at Priority One Podcast. As always, you're always welcome to join us here on the show anytime. I'll be back soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Al. It's been great. Thank you. Joining us this episode is the newly appointed executive producer of Star Trek Online, Stephen Salami Inferno Ricosa. How's it going? How are you? First of all, congratulations on the promotion, and thank you for joining us on Priority One Podcast. No problem. Thank you for having me. Let's start by getting to know you a little more. For players that may not be familiar with who you are or what you've done for Star Trek Online over the past five years, give us a bit of a brief history. Uh, yeah, I've been here for quite a while. Like I hired Cryptic um, a little over six years ago. And I started in QA, and I've been on Star Trek from the beginning. So I was in QA for five or six months, and then I got hired on as a junior producer, and I've kind of worked my way up from there. I've, I've been involved in every season, every release, from making builds to producing features to content to you name it, I've produced it over the last six years. It's been really exciting, and this game has been a huge part of my life, and I've been a Star Trek fan forever, and so I just, I love working on this game every day. Awesome. Well, I mean, we've loved everything that you've done. I mean, it's certainly given us plenty of content to cover here on Priority One Podcast from week to week. Now, Stephen D'Angelo was tagged with being the quality of life EP, so to speak. So now that you're in the position, folks like Raymond Pritchett and Logan Omega asked a very good question via our Facebook page. What are your top three priorities for Star Trek Online while you're in the big chair? And ultimately, what do you hope will be your lasting mark for Star Trek Online? Wow, that's a good question. Well, I've been under all of our EPs for the history of the game, from Craig to Stahl to D'Angelo. And so I feel like I, I may have picked up, you know, habits from all of them. I do agree with D'Angelo's quality of life mantra. I think it's important to go back and look at our old systems and look at our old content and look at bug count and try and get all that stuff just better, right? Reduce the bug count, increase the quality of old features. Uh, I feel like the crafting system is, a, is just a fantastic example of that. 
just taking an old system and really bringing it to life. For me personally, I have a few goals for the game. We pulled out exploration some time ago. I would love to get that back in there. That's one of my goals. And even though I'm, I'm loath to say it, I'm actually a pretty big PvP fan. So um, if we can find time in the schedule, I would like to do uh, some sort of update or overhaul to the PvP in the game, because that's something that I participate in quite a bit when I'm gaming for fun on my own. That would be wonderful. I also, uh, I don't want to say double down, but definitely focus on the story, keeping actors, keeping the story going. For the game, we felt like we had a, a great story last year that was kind of in the spirit of featured episode series where we had one story over a five-week period. Last year, we kind of told one story over a year. We've been talking about doing that again this year, but kind of taking it to the next level. So you'll see something coming up soon that may they may tie in a little bit to that, but we're, I'm definitely uh, focused on bringing story content to the game in a different way. Since you mentioned PvP, we spoke a bit about PvP with Al Rivera and the idea of if you build it, they will come. Folks like Shane Slaughter on Facebook would like to know, what are your thoughts or plans for PvP in Star Trek Online? We have a lot of kind of grand plans, but from the base level, we definitely want to make sure that the, the standard modes are fun, right? The classic PvP modes that are in most games, I feel like should be present here and should be fun, right? Things like Team Deathmatch that, that we have in the game already, right? The 5-on-5 five five or 10-on-10, ten ten. Uh, Capture the Flag, Domination Style modes. We have those in the game, but they could be improved upon uh, in this modern era, right? That's just me five years ago, kind of bringing those up to par. And then there's larger things we can do with the game, more meta PvP games. I feel like there's a lot of direction we can go with the PvP games. What do you say about the concerns that PvPers have currently as far as one shot and you're dead or whoever shoots first wins scenario that is happening currently in PvP? Part of rebuilding these maps, rebuilding these games, and coming up with new game types is finding ways to split the player base as in, in each game, right? You know, the 10 people and the 20 people in a match. I'm splitting them up, even disparate objectives, so that way you don't end up with the fur ball that you see now where first person to fire wins, or it's a group of people and you've got, you know, five ships firing on one ship until that one's together and moving on to the next. Adding a layer of strategy so that way the tactics um, allow themselves to kind of play out. Awesome. Very exciting. So about those sector walls. So during an interview with Al Rivera, he spoke about the team having a great cadence for the workflow and completion of projects. So does this mean that the sector walls have come down in-house? And what sort of hurdles are you facing with that momentous task? That is actually a fact. The sector walls are, in fact, down in-house. You can fly around any sector around. Uh, there's only three, the whole Beta Quadrant, the whole Delta Quadrant, and the whole Alpha Quadrant. It's pretty exciting. It's really cool. There were some interesting challenges, getting duty officer assignments to work, and I don't want to get too much into it because it's so far out, but getting duty officer assignments to work because they were set up to work on different maps, and having all in one map required a whole bunch of new tech, so that way it would play the same way. So, um, you know, the beta quadrant is one giant map, and if you're in the serious sector, that's where you'll get those duty officer assignments that you get now, but if you slide over to the next one, the next block, the regular block, um, you'll get a different set of uh, duty officer assignments just right there on the fly, they'll swap. So it's a lot, it'll make it a lot easier to dock across zones. But that was definitely a technological hurdle. Making the map look good, it was actually kind of funny. The first time we saw it, it was just insane with the number of planets and the names. And it was just like one giant mess you couldn't see anything. So we went through and, you know, your level of zoom, what you scrolled in on the map will determine whether or not you see the names of the planets and the, and the systems. And it was a lot of technology and a whole bunch of work on the uh, content side and the environment side to do this. It's a it's a pretty far, broad, sweeping feature that I was excited to tease. And we'll have some forthcoming blogs where we'll talk about it, because again, it's really far out. But I felt like it was something exciting to share with my announcement blog. It is, it is. Sector. 
when the walls fell. Uh, it was exciting. It was, it was super exciting. We finally had it. We were finally flying around. I think uh, from the Beta Quadrant, which is the largest map, which is, you know, it contains, spoilers, it contains all of Fed space, all of Klingon space, the neutral zone, all of Romulan space. From corner to corner, because it's a square, I think it was uh, seven or eight minutes of flight time at maximum warp. Oh, wow, wow, cool. That's exciting. That's exciting. So several people have hit the forums, our Facebook page, Twitter, you name it, regarding the recent Dilithium Rewards event and the adjustment that has been made this time around. Al Rivera touched on adjusting Dilithium so that it became more like a true time currency. Was this adjustment also part of a broader plan for the future of Dilithium? What can you tell players that have been disappointed by not being able to exchange Mark and Advance tokens via the reputation system as a method for bonus Dilithium? So I'm pretty sure I covered that in some detail in the post that I made today on the boards and on Reddit, where I mentioned our reasoning behind it, right? Our goal is for players to get bonus Dilithium on the Dilithium they earn during the the bonus weekend, and by setting it up so that way you could get the bonus, you could get uh, the bonus marks and uh, elite marks conversion during the event. Those became only viable during the event, so we wanted them viable year-round. Now, something that I also mentioned is that we're in the spirit of making it a true time currency. That you know, when you're spending time, you're getting lithium. And I mentioned this in, in my post. We're putting that lithium pretty much almost everywhere in the game. You're going to be able to get it out of episodes and episode replay. You're going to be able to get it out of patrols. Um, so the amount of time that you spend or the equals the amount of time you get, it's going to be available in far more locations. So the next time this rolls around, you could run through your favorite patrol or your favorite episodes and get bonus to listing for playing with. Well, that's very exciting. And of course, we'll have links in the show notes for those players that may not frequent the forums or subreddit so that they can actually see what it is and how you replied. But that is exciting. You know, when Al Rivera talked about Dilithium as a true time currency, it was also interesting. He did mention adding Dilithium and boosting some of the rewards for missions so that players, like you said, as they spend more time in the game, they get rewarded for it. And I think, again, it just kind of caught people off guard, and it's good to see that uh, as newly appointed EP, you're hot on it, man. Well, I, I wish it would have, uh, the blog would have gone out with all the accurate information. The information was accurate in-game, the in-game event, but it wasn't accurate in the blog, which is super unfortunate. So I wanted to definitely get in there and let everyone know what was going on. And then, you know, let them know that as a make good, we're extending the event, right, for an entire week as opposed to just the weekend. So the last few weeks have been a little bit rough with the community regarding things like rewards in the game. And Aravera also helped calm players' concerns and discussed a broader plan regarding the rewards given via queues, patrol missions, etc. Is there anything you'd like to address regarding adjustment of rewards? Yeah, so that is part and parcel with our Dilithium change. The, uh, the change to add Dilithium to missions and patrols, that wasn't because of what happened today. That's something we've been working on. And as I mentioned in the blog, we're, we're committed to getting out before the end of February. It's not just a lithium. There's boost to all sorts of numerics in different locations. Alice posted about it on the boards, but we'll have a detailed blog on what we're going to be adding to queues and different forms of content to really up the rate of rewards in the game and make sure everyone feels like their time is valued. So speaking about rewards and how players can take advantage of their time in the game, there seems to be two schools of thought regarding the concept of a quote-unquote grind in MMOs and in Star Trek Online. Some players with a broad spectrum of MMOs under their belt don't consider the content in Star Trek Online to be grindy at all, whilst others do. What is your general philosophy about earning rewards and its progress in earning rewards through an MMO? And where is your ideal balance between killing a hundred wild boar, 
and participating in events to earn marks or rewards. So I've played other MMOs as well before I got here, right? It's almost kind of a requirement to be hired here as you kind of know MMOs. And compared to other MMOs, we definitely, in my opinion, are not a grind. That being said, we're aware that we're a lot of our players' first MMOs. Some people come here because we're Star Trek, not because they play MMOs, but they want to hang out in the Star Trek world. So we constantly make adjustments to how things work, right? The reputation system went over a major overhaul just a few months ago, maybe a year ago. Um, so that way, you know, you run one queue for that reputation and you're ready to go, you kick that off. And you can do that every day. And after 40 days, you have unlocked tier five of that rep. Along with that, you can unlock the high-end gear as opposed to having to be randomized, right? When we originally launched our uh, STFs with the board, the, getting the high-end gear was totally randomized. And that was super rough for a lot of people. So we've gone about making the game simpler and less of a grind in that respect. Though, in my opinion, something given, just given away, may not have value, right? So if we just give away all that Omega gear, right, from the board rep, as an example, then everyone's got it. Who cares? What's the next bigger thing? And that's ubiquitous. It's, it's the norm. Um, so we feel like there has to be some work put into it in order to earn something and feel good that you've earned it, that you have it, someone else doesn't, and you have it because you, you spent the time and, and decided to earn it. So we're always trying to find a good balance between you know, putting in a time and effort, feeling like there's goals that you're working towards. You always want to have goals that you're working towards, uh, but not dial it back so much that we put the goals in and then two weeks later everyone's finished and they're asking, well, that wasn't very long. Where's the next goals? Trying to meet that balance is tough, but I feel like we're, uh, we're working on it every day. I have to agree. I mean, I don't find there to be a grind in Star Trek Online. There is so much content that players have at their fingertips, whether it's leveling up through DOFs or getting rewards through DOFs or playing the queues. Fine, going to Argala and, you know, killing a bunch of Kazon. But when push comes to shove, Star Trek Online is in no way a kill 100 boar just to progress in any way, shape, or form. There's so much that players have at their fingertips. There's almost a problem of too much choice, quite honestly. I think that I speak for a majority of players, a silent majority of happy players that very much enjoy the content that we have available to us. It's funny to me that you, you mentioned our golly, you know, granted for spec points, construction mastery. The concept of spec points, we thought, oh, okay, you know, XP becomes useless once you get max cap. How can we keep that useful? Oh, well, we'll have this where you can continually earn XP and then you'll get these spec points. And we just assumed it was something people would get as time went by and eventually you'd fill them out and that would be it. Um, we didn't expect that people would feel like they, you know, we gotta get these all immediately. We gotta, now you're forced to be grind to fill out, you know, 90 spec points. We're like, well, no, we just thought you kind of earned them as you were playing normally. Like, oh, I'm playing cues. I'm, an adventure zone or a lithium, I'm getting some XP and eventually I'll get some spec points and I'll fill out my trees. That'll be cool. So an interesting to see. That's true. And we're working on, on XP rewards elsewhere throughout the game to make sure that, you know, things like Starship Mastery or General Leveling Up, you can do it anywhere, right? You're not at a disadvantage going one place over another, seriously. So I am absolutely saddened to hear that the mobile app or possibility of some type of mobile integration may have been put on a back burner. Is there anything you can add to that? I mean, well, let me ask this broader question. There are features like a mobile app or features like a PVP. These are all suggestions from a community that kind of always get tossed back and forth as players must have. So do you plan at all to do perhaps another poll like you did shortly before Legacy of Romulus? Uh, yeah, we can work with the community team and do another poll whenever, uh, whenever it seems like we need one. That's not a problem at all. PvP is something that we can work out internally. Coming up with an app, the Star Trek Online development team in general doesn't make apps 
We didn't make the gateway. It was an alternate team at the company that handled that for us. So that would have to be that would have to be something that we can get the company to work on aside from the team itself. And I think it's features like this that, you know, for instance, if you have a poll, I think players are hoping that it'll be a quick avenue for them to voice their, we really want to have this in an easy way that, you know, the team can look at and be like, oh, okay, well, they want this. Kind of like the Romulans. I think the community is hoping to see that type of interaction like they got from Legacy of Romulus, right? Because I think in the poll, Romulans won the majority of the vote. And so we had Legacy of Romulus. And so there are so many ideas kind of back and forth. And I'm sure that in the daily grind of things in planning, you're always thinking, okay, what can we do as a team? And then what do the players want? And I'm wondering if, you know, and like you said, it's good to hear that, you know, you would consider doing polls because I think that'll give players kind of that, satiate that fear that their voice might not be heard or their voice gets lost in the grand scheme of forums. Yeah, I mean, we read the boards and we read the subreddit and we have a lot of us listen to the podcast. We're definitely listening to the community, even though... Uh, only few of us like to participate. But we're listening, but I agree that a poll might be in order in this new era just to kind of take the temperature of the community and see what they think is most important. You know, we intentionally put a lot of these omega molecules in some of our social maps that people, you know, you can go to and look at Wolf 359 Memorial and pop over the handle and look at them. But there's nothing really to do over there. Adding these in there, seeing those maps chock full of people is so exciting. So it's given us a lot to think about on the, either, you know, keeping this game in or coming up with something very similar. Um, and seeding it throughout the galaxy. Yeah, I definitely don't visit those places very often, but now I am, and I'm seeing people that I know there, which I never did before. <laughs> so it definitely makes you leave your comfort zone. Yeah. I'm going to be Jones in. I'm going to go on withdrawal when that minigame goes away. Oh. It's, it's my zen. Yeah, we're both addicted, and we noticed there is a bug. You used to be able to slot five projects when trying to cook a tech upgrade. And right now, the bug reverted back to where you can only slot one project at a time. Yeah, we saw that this morning. We've already triaged it, I think. Vorticus has already fixed it. So um, that won't go until our next push, but we're, uh, we're working on it. Cool. Very exciting. Very exciting. Well, then you can at least extend the event for another week to make up for that, right? <laughs> extend the game for just another week? Just think about it. <laughs> we're just being facetious. You mentioned earlier at the start of the interview, you were talking about content, story content. When Dan Stahl was first at the helm, you know, he talked about that too, about seeing featured episodes more frequently. You know, I know that that's something that's very difficult to promise, especially when now that you're churning out such high quality episodes with voiceover work and actors and just amazing stories you're telling, you know, what would be your ideal picture in terms of progressing the story throughout the year? I could tell you. But I also don't want to give it away. We've got something coming up where we can talk about it. I would imagine you'd be getting episodes less frequently than every week, more often than on every season. And we'd be telling one continuous story over the year. We have got an incredibly exciting story that we're going to start telling here pretty soon. The very next piece of content you see is going to kick things off, and it's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I'm absolutely looking forward to it. You know, Stephen, we had the opportunity of meeting you at Star Trek Las Vegas and as well when we stopped by and visited in October. And I am certainly glad that you've taken command of the USS Star Trek Online. And I cannot wait for all the amazing content and all the amazing features that you produce while in command. Oh, thank you very much. It was great seeing you guys in Vegas and it was fun to you when you guys came through here. I look forward to being on the show again. Absolutely. You know, you're welcome anytime. This is the part of the interview where we kind of leave the mic open. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to discuss or address to the community? In general, I just look forward to working with the community, taking their feedback, 
and producing just high quality Star Trek game, right? That's just what I want to make and I want everyone to enjoy it. So I, I'm really looking forward to it and I hope everyone else is as well. Awesome. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us here on Priority One Podcast. We look forward to having you on again soon and break a leg on this maiden voyage of yours. Thank you. Thank you. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening, good morning, or good afternoon, wherever you are. This is Cookie's number one fan. You know me in game as Admiral Quinn. You see me in game, say hello. Let me know how you're doing. Just wanted to stop by and say, hey, you guys are doing a great job. I love the way your podcast is presented. Probably, no, not probably. It is the best one on the internet. So, uh, you guys keep up the good work. And I'll see you around a little bit. Bye-bye. Aw, that was so nice. A big thanks to Admiral Quinn for leaving some voicemail feedback this week. We appreciate that you took the time to leave us that message. And that you consider us to be the best podcast around. Well, Admirals, we're at the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Let's start with a reminder about last week's community questions. First up, tell us about your experience with the new content introduced in the anniversary event. What do you think of the new command powers? Did you enjoy the new missions? How's that Polaron barrage console from the lockbox ship? On PriorityOnePodcast.com, Matt Miracle writes, Awesome show. Great to hear Al as always. One thing did concern me was his talk about removing the crystalline PVE queue. While I understand his reasoning, that would take away one of the avenues that the KDF have to generate fleet marks. That's a good point. I didn't think about that during the interview, probably because I don't really play my Klingon very much. <laughs> but if um, I, you know, I, I think that they have some big plans on how players earn rewards, and I'm, you know, I'm sure, keeping our fingers crossed that the KDF will find other ways to earn fleet marks. He did also mention that they are moving more towards kind of letting you choose your reward, not totally, but kind of in that direction. So hopefully if they did that, they would open up fleet marks into some other queues or something along those lines. Because Matt is right, some of the queues are much harder to form in KDF just because of lower numbers. Mm-hmm. The Grand Nagus commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, I'm very happy to hear Al's plans for finally making Dilithium a true time currency and adding Dilithium to journal missions so people can start earning from the start. Also very happy to hear that we'll be changing the Tau Dewa patrols to work like the Delta patrols, as the TD patrols really aren't worth the time at the moment. So all in all, congrats to Cryptic on five years, and I'm looking forward to these changes. I welcome these changes to the patrols because I feel like I'm missing out on the feature that was introduced with the patrols that you kind of get a different experience each time you do them, at least in the Delta Quadrant. So I just haven't found the need or the desire to go do them because I know that I'm not going to get the the rewards that I want, right? The uh, rewards that would kind of justify the return on investment. So I'm looking forward to the changes, especially if they're towards the end of the month, like Rikosa suggested. Squished posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com. So Al plans to add cooldown timers to the patrol missions because he doesn't want people running Argala constantly. I can understand that. But they need to understand that they cut the XP being awarded across all the other content. So as well as adding the cooldown timers, they also need to raise the XP in other areas to match what Argala pays out. 
Yeah, but I think that, that that's the goal. That's what he said the goal was. It's not just a matter of nerfing Argala, but of also just balancing everything, so... Did he really say he was going to raise the XP in other areas? Or did he just say... He... I think it's just balancing. Well, he was talking about adding XP to things like the battle zones, which don't currently award XP. Right. Ground is tough. Not battle zone, though. I miss the battle zone. I want to go back down to the battle zone and kill dinosaurs. I mean, I can solo most of the battle zone if there's not people AFK in there. Admiral Daniel writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com, Another great show, as always. My experience with the anniversary content has been overwhelmingly positive. I'm psyched to get the Kobali Samsar ship, and I'm looking forward to trying my luck with the Vodwar lockbox. I loved the episode Dust to Dust. It's awesome anytime an actor comes in to voice a character, and Kim Rhodes is no exception. Plus, I'm also psyched with the hints from Laughing Trendy about Season 10, Sector Blocks. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's no longer a hint. Vegeta50024 writes on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode, I think I was a bit surprised when Gecko actually said what I've been feeling all along about the specialization system. I figured that it was something that they designed in mind that they wanted you to be able to acquire specialization points, mainly how you wanted to play pre-Delta Rising. This is at 50-30 into the interview with him. Like the crafting schools, this was meant to not be done over one night or over a week, but rather as you play. Salamu Berno also explained that that was more along the lines of what they were thinking. They weren't thinking everybody was just going to plow through it in one week. Right. But that's what people do. And you know, I was talking about this today in our in-game chat. Intended play and actual live play in MMOs has always been surprising to devs. Like, all the way back in Ultima Online or EverQuest. In EverQuest, they built these big dungeons, but it wasn't instance content yet. It was just like part of the open world. And they thought people would group up with their friends and go on an adventure, you know, go on a dungeon crawl, go down and fight their way down to the bottom and fight the boss and then come back out. But what people actually did was they would find a spot where sometimes the enemy would drop a valuable reward and they would just sit there and camp it for days sometimes, literally. In EverQuest, what? there were places in the world where there would be like a line of people waiting their turn to kill the bo- boss or elite enemy when it spawned for a small chance at a drop. And they were dumbfounded. They thought, why would people choose to play this really boring way? But they just wanted the reward. They were doing whatever they thought was most efficient to get the reward that they wanted. So people lined up like in like a like a customer service line? Yeah, pretty much. They wow. would uh, often sit in a circle around the spawn point and like kind of take turns and it would just be self-enforced. <laughs> and kill stealing was a big thing back then. It was a, it was a different time. Bygone era. <laughs> On our Facebook post for this episode, Logan Omega writes, I'm enjoying the new featured mission Dust to Dust on five characters so far. Except for the graphic glitch on hard and very hard where the heavy mobile turrets are not visible and where they're supposed to be, I enjoy doing all the difficulty options on very hard. And I've only managed to get the boff in the maze once despite being in the same spot as the marker for it every time. As far as the new daily mission for accumendations, it's different and I'm still there on the fence as to how fun I think it is because right now it feels grindy but it has potential. Well, stick with it because it is... It's like, okay, 
So, like, remember on Star Trek The Next Generation, the episode The Game, and everybody gets those little visor things and they just, like, you know, like, that's how I am with it. So I remember when Riker did it for the first time and the lady was like, just relax and let it go and it'll do it for you. And then he did it. That's, like, how it is. Like, if I get too tense, I can't do it. But if I just relax and kind of go cross-eyed, then I can totally do it. Oh, it's like a magic eye painting. Yeah, you just have to just kind of just don't focus too hard and just kind of move the mouse as fast as you can. Sometimes doing it with the sound off helps me because the sound makes me makes me feel like the mouse sticks. I don't know. That's just what I do. No, you see, the sound the sound helps me. Because you know how I, Okay, so one, it reminds me a lot of Guitar Hero. Number two is that this reminds me very much of my music early music theory days when you're taught, you know, rhythms and, and how to read notes and the length of notes. So I'm kind of like ta ti ti ta ta ticka 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 ta ta. So it's very much a I, I'm approaching this and I play this almost as a musician doing this little mini game. It's ridiculous. Hildebrand writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com with regard to our prelude audio dramas at the start of each show. I really enjoy this little segment. Great acting and very immersive sounds. I assume he means me with the great acting part. (laughs) And the immersive sounds. Oh, so immersive. (laughs) Well, Hildebrand, thank you very much. We appreciate your feedback regarding the preludes. A big thanks, of course, as always, to our writer, Jake. And those immersive sounds are thanks to the very magical wizard behind the mixer, Ben Churchill. We also got a few tweets. Brian at Blue K tweeted us, loving the audio dramas. And Thomas Townley, at King Townley, tweeted, Accidentally hit .5 speed on my podcast player while playing you guys. It makes you all sound drunk. Hilarious! You know what's funny is that um, it doesn't take much for that to happen, for us to sound funny. drunk. <laughs> just a, uh, in- increasing the speed is just going to be like drunk chipmunks. It's not a, you know... Each week, our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast. Follow us on Twitter at STO priority one or shoot an email to incoming at priority one podcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 208 of priority one podcast. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. Admirals, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our community question in the comment section on our site or on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. This week's community questions are, for those of you fortunate enough to have gotten your hands on one of the lockbox ships, what are your thoughts? Do you have a loadout that seems to be working well? Or what's your DPS looking like if you're parsing? Let us know your thoughts on the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the official post for this episode at the Star Trek online forums. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STOPriority1. You can even join the Priority One Podcast chat in-game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space priority one admirals we want to thank you for your ongoing support of priority one podcast with your support we've already hit our monthly running costs and we are so very grateful to all our patrons don't forget even if you can't offer financial support sharing our show with your friends is another great way to show us your support and be sure to tune into priority one productions guard frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com 
covering the ongoing development of Chris Roberts' upcoming space sim, Star Citizen. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And now you can join our Klingon Fleet Division, Warriors of Priority One. Today is a good day to join. A special thanks to Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. Thanks to systems designer, Jeremy Bordicus Randall, for demonstrating Captain Space powers with us, with the awesome help of senior test analyst, Phil Farktoid Farkley. And last, but certainly not least, a big thanks to the new captain in command of Star Trek Online, newly appointed executive producer, Stephen Salami Inferno Ricosa. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Ben Churchill, with support from audio assistants, Admiral Winters, and Frederick Redegard. And to QA support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7. Thanks to our graphic artist, Romulan Ale. To all of our bloggers and their managing editor, L. To the writer of our prelude dramas, Jake Morgan. To our video editor, Jerry Tillman. To Chris Trone, our new social media manager. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Well, we've got a big episode, so let's jump right in. Cookie. We have another big show for you this week, Admirals. This week we'll be jumping... Okay. <laughs> you know, you're, Elijah, your transition almost was exactly the same as her first line. I know. So first of all... <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Guys in the chat, I can't hear any of you. Your levels are way too low. Um, I, well, uh, we did change our setup. I did change my setup a little bit, and so I did Jace. I'm, I'm going to adjust in Teams. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm picking on them. I said, hey, everybody in chat, I can't hear you. Oh. That's just a joke. Oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> Jace, we can't tell when you're joking. It's always funny to hear you say before we wrap the show, because you always like... <sighs> You're always very meticulous about it. Because and it happens every week, every time I listen to it. so many you, times Before we wrap the show, we'll be fighting the Waskily Wabbit. <laughs> what? Should, I, should I say? Sh- no, no, no. no it's good. He's just picking on you. It's good. It's just, okay. yeah, but yeah. I'm so used to him I saying I've done it wrong and I have to redo Aww. that song. Oh, my God. Trauma. Really? <laughs> Cry me a river. This is Jace, Community Questions, Sync 3. This is Al, Community Answers, Sync 4. Ooh, I like it. Ooh, nice. Well done. Well played, sir. And we get into some community questions. Questions. I like questions.
And they're we, exciting. They're exciting. <laughs> I like the ship. Yes. <laughs> just eat, you, you, you can't like the ship. You just you eat like a bird. You eat like one bean and you're done. <laughs> oh my god, that was terrible. <laughs> Admirals, and we continue this. Uh, we'll continue this. What? Yes. <laughs> in the weeks leading up to the fifth anniversary event, sometimes you'd log in and there were no bridge officers in your station. Yeah. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> Sarcasm Detector asked, when Delta Rising first launched, if you maxed out your spec points, you would then get Dilithium for every extra spec point you earned. But then this was removed. Are there any plans to initiate it again? Sure, we have all kinds of plans to, re to replace that. Did you detect that, Mr. Sarcasm Detector? No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was a complete joke. I, was, I did not mean that I anyway. totally got it. Yeah. <laughs> um... Cryptic has said they would tweak experience points rewards. You are, what are you doing? You know, I can see what you're doing. It's messing me up. Al. Oh man, he listens to the bloopers. <laughs> would you stop? <laughs> he, knows, it? he knows how to distract her. <laughs> what, what? Oh, oh, because I'm highlighting it? Yes. Oh, I had no idea you were seeing that. <laughs> I was. That's what Skiffy would do to me. I did. I had no idea. It shows the name pop up and covers parts of the letters. By the way, oh, see what I'm doing. This is what you're doing. Oh, uh, oops! I just messed something. up. There we go. This, this question I've actually. While I was trying to read. Yeah, it. no, I did no idea that was that was actually happening. <laughs> I actually highlight whenever I'm reading. I actually highlight it. It's easier for me. Well, that's easier, fine. Easier but then you're it. going like this all over the place. <laughs> now I'm just not going to stop doing it now. Because now that you I know. No, I had no idea. Oh, man. Sad panda. I really enjoy this little segment. Great acting and very immersive sounds. I assume he means me with the great acting. <laughs> and the immersive sounds. Oh, so immersive. <laughs> we also got a few tweets. Should, Brian don't at... To give, don't we have to give a shout out to Ben for those immersive sounds? Well, if okay, sure. Let's go ahead. You know what, Cookie? Great, Make big so. shout out to Ben for Ben those great and and Jake. Sounds. Well, yes, Don't forget Jake. If you're gonna ask, if you're gonna give a shout out to Ben, the writing. Gotta, that's hard. <laughs> I'm just saying about what. That's the, awesome. Jake is a great writer, and Ben gives has very immersive sounds. Editing, sound editing. What? What? So Ben, you can. You that Jake. You know that Jake, you know that Jake is in the. I know. First of all, you just insulted Jake and he's listening. Yeah. No, guy. I didn't insult him. I just said as far as what they said. Well, no, he did say he does. Okay, I really enjoyed this little segment. So it's a great little thing, Jake, that you did. Yeah, what well, you great did. Great little job on that. A little segment. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hil Hildebrand. Well, Hildebrand, thank you very much. We appreciate your feedback regarding the preludes. A big thanks, of course, as always, to our writer, Jake. And those immersive sounds are thanks to the very magical wizard behind the mixer, oh, Ben Churchill. Oh, my God. What Sorry, I didn't that? think I could do that on command. What? I was just trying to give you some immersive sounds. Ew. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, in increasing the speed is just going to be like drunk chipmunks. It's not a, mm -hmm. you know. We're the podcast. Each week, our social media channels are busy with their thoughts, business, and suggestions for the show. <laughs> wow, that was good. Please keep them coming. Can we? 
Can, Cookie, can you read that? I At normal pace. God. <laughs> Each week, our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on Facebook.com forward slash Why don't you invite people? Like, sound inviting. Like, please keep them coming. Invite people. Here like, it is. Just open like I was your door. That usually happens. Open your you door like, to what? people. Open it. your doors to people. Each week, our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach okay. out to so us. So now on you did Facebook. a 10. So now I need you to do it at like a seven. It sounded really sarcastic to me. <laughs> Here, Cookie, just be real. Sure. Uh, each week, you guys keep sending feedback, and I have to organize it because that's just what happens. And if you could just dial it down a little bit, it would save me a lot of time. <laughs> oh my god, that's horrible. Perfect. No, Let's it's not perfect. That. I cannot believe you just told people not to write in. You guys <laughs> no, suck. No, no, I'm saying that's that's what Cookie sounded like when she did it the like uh. sluggish way. I don't do feedback. I was being warm. All right, try. Let's try one more time. You know, in retrospect, I don't think I ever read the community question during Stone News because Cookie was like, "This is out of this is out of place." Why are you blaming me for? It was in yellow highlighting. I mean, what more can you do to make it noticeable? <laughs> and be sure to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Coming on the guard frequency. <laughs> covering guard frequency theme Covering song. the ongoing development. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. And don't forget and, and be sure to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency. <laughs> oh, Jesus.